You're listening to the Inbound Logistics Podcast with today's guest, John Wagner Jr., Chief Customer Officer for Wagner Logistics. A key component to an efficient supply chain is an effective warehouse, but that doesn't mean simply stacking goods up behind closed doors. Businesses often look to 3PLs for help with storage and distribution. However, anytime you put your product in someone else's hands, there's going to be risks involved. John Wagner Jr. of Wagner Logistics joins us to identify some of the risks to watch out for and offer some tips on how to manage them. Joining me on the phone this morning is John Wagner Jr., Chief Customer Officer for Wagner Logistics. John, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So, John, tell us a little bit about Wagner Logistics and some of your background, please. Well, Wagner Logistics was started in 1946 by my grandfather as Wagner Cartage Service. Over the years, we've really evolved into a full-service logistics provider. We're operating shared client and dedicated distribution center operations across the U.S. with freight brokerage and dedicated trucking. I really grew up in the warehousing and trucking industry through the late 60s and 70s, uh, working for my father, and uh, went into the warehousing business full-time in 1976 after graduating from KU having actually worked in the old days and witnessed the transformation of the business over the last 40 years, I'm really amazed by how far this industry has come. Uh, Today, Wagner is operating about 4 million square feet of distribution center space in 10 states with deep experience in all kinds of warehousing, including e-commerce fulfillment, manufacturing material support, to operating national and regional distribution centers on a dedicated basis. So we at uh, Inbound Logistics Magazine know that uh, an efficient supply chain really relies on effective warehousing because so many businesses use 3PLs for storage and distribution. What kind of risks should a business be aware of when they're outsourcing that piece of the supply chain? That's a great question. I, I advise companies who outsource to take a close look at the terms and conditions of storage because that's where most misunderstandings come from. Companies need to understand that just because one outsources, they do not lay off all the liability to the 3PL, so there are insurance implications. To start with, one needs to understand the concept of bailment, which is confused by most companies due to their experience in dealing with truckers and railroads as common carriers. So this concept of bailment, can you explain that to me? And how is a, a warehouse provider different from a motor carrier with that respect? Uh, The difference is in the kind of bailment provided. Motor carriers are subject to extraordinary bailment, while warehouse providers are subject to ordinary bailment. The word bailment is derived from the French word bailure, which signifies to deliver. This concept is applied in Old English law where wagons of goods traveling through a forest would be met by a highwayman who would threaten a driver with his life if he didn't turn over the goods to the thief. Over time, the driver and the thief would come together in agreement and split the proceeds. The reaction to this trend was to create a law that continues today in that other than the exceptions listed on the bill lading contract, the carrier is responsible for the cost of the goods. This is extraordinary bailment. After centuries of litigation, current warehouse law provides for ordinary bailment. This standard of care is different as it evolves around the hiring of care and custody, which is the essence of dealing with a warehouse operator. A warehouseman is defined as a bailey for hire who has care, custody, and control of the goods of another. The actual duty of care for a customer's goods is defined under the reasonable person doctrine. 
This states a warehouse must exercise such care in regard to the stored goods as a reasonably careful person would exercise in like circumstances. Is there some place that shippers can find this information on warehouse law? Sure. Uh, there's been an evolution in warehouse law going back in history. In the U.S., various state laws were brought together under the creation of the Uniform Warehouse Receipts Act, and in 1951 were replaced with the Uniform Commercial Code. Warehouse provisions are now found in Section 7 of the Uniform Commercial Code, which can be found on the web. It's pretty boring but necessary reading to understand the legal basis of why 3PLs limit their liability and are allowed many of the risk protections that are permitted under the code. So limiting their liability, how does a 3PL warehouse do that? Well, it does, in, does it in several ways. But the first, the first, it's really important to recognize that the depositor does not relinquish title to the goods. Because of this, the depositor, as the beneficial owner of the goods, retains the risk of loss and or damage to their goods while such goods are in the warehouse's possession. The warehouse provider, as bailee, is only responsible to the depositor, the bailor, for such loss or damage to the property as results from negligence on the part of the bailee. Let's look at what this means. If the warehouse says they received a thousand pallets of goods, but a physical inventory a few months later reveals that they only have 999 pallets, the warehouse operator is responsible for the pallet of goods subject to the terms of the agreement. That's short. Let's say the agreement says that they limit their liability to 100 times the base storage rate. If the base storage rate was $8 per pallet, then the most they would pay on that claim would be $800. If the pallet was worth $2,000, one would see why the customer would be upset as they would be receiving $1,200 less in the value of the goods. Carrying this example further, let's say the customer had an order to sell all 1,000 pallets for a price of $3,000 per pallet and the warehouse was short one pallet. The liability to the warehouse would still be $800 and not the amount of the lost sale. This is because warehouses do not pay consequential damages. Isn't there an insurance for warehouse companies to cover that loss? Yes, the warehouse would have warehouse legal liability insurance to cover themselves if they're negligent and experience a loss or damage event. The insurance carrier will expect the warehouse provider to have used their legal rights to limit their liability, and a failure to do so could void the coverage. In fact, if a warehouse enters into any agreement that elevates their standard of care beyond that required by law, they are putting their own insurance coverage at risk. What else, then, isn't covered by the warehouse? It goes back to the reasonable standard of care. If a tornado rips off the roof and the inventory is lost to, due to the storm and rain damage, the warehouse doesn't have any liability. The depositor should have insurance coverage for these kinds of act of God contingencies. If a lightning strike causes a fire that in turn trips the sprinkler system and the inventory is smoke and water damage, the depositor needs coverage as the warehouse provider acted reasonably and is not liable. On the other hand, if a warehouse forklift knocks off a sprinkler head and inventory is water damaged, that would be covered under a warehouse legal liability policy. If a warehouse misships an order with the incorrect items, they are responsible for paying the freight to return those items and the freight costs for getting the correct order to the consignee. If product loss occurs in this transaction, they are liable up to the limits of their liability. So does this type of liability exist across all 3PL warehouse relationships? 
Well, let's talk about warehouse relationships. There's two kinds. The first is the public warehouse relationship, which is where a depositor and a warehouse agree to do business together where either party may cancel the agreement upon 30 days' notice. I've had customers as long as 20 years into this kind of arrangement. It's main characteristic is that there's no stated term or commitment, and it's very flexible. The, the standard terms and conditions apply under this arrangement, which are typically small accounts in a multi-client facility with several accounts in that building. The second kind of agreement is a contract warehouse relationship. These are typically dedicated distribution centers with one customer. Under these arrangements, there's a long-form agreement outlining a term of three to five years, so the commitment is there, unlike the public warehouse model. This is beneficial for both parties as the collaboration level is higher due to the commitment and willingness on the part of the warehouse to invest in the project and amortize expenses. So how does that affect the liability on a contract facility? The actual nature of the product, along with its value, can be discussed, and the insurance can be more tailored to the actual dedicated operation. Many of these types of arrangements are covered under an SLA or service level agreement that calls for penalties for non-performance. As far as warehouse legal liability is concerned, a policy can be written for the facility taking into consideration a mutually discussed dollar limit that will cover the inventory. Despite this, there must still be a limitation of liability which is negotiated with the depositor. In a high-volume distribution center, there will also be some kind of shrinkage or loss allowance where the limitation of liability is discussed. Would there ever be a situation where a warehouse ever chose to increase their liability? And, I mean, why would they opt to do that? Well, as I explained before, the warehouse must be careful in increasing their liability. In Section 7304, Sub 2 of the Uniform Commercial Code, the limitation of liability or limitation of damages, I should say, is identified in the storage agreement. It's a good idea to specify liability per article or item or value per unit of weight. Agreements that charge storage by the square foot must have some language that says, for the purposes of calculating liability, it is agreed that the value is tied to XYZ. A multiple of square foot charge bears no relationship to the actual product and would not hold up in a potential loss litigation. So. If in a negotiation, a customer with a high-cost product could get a higher limit of liability by having the warehouse raise the base cost. In my previous example of $8 per pallet storage as the base and a multiple of 100 times the base storage rate, what if we went to $12 base and 200 times the storage rate? Instead of limiting the liability at the previous $800 per pallet, the warehouse would now be at $2,400 per pallet. So before agreeing to this kind of elevation of liability, the warehouse should discuss it with their insurance carrier to make sure they understand the costs of doing so so that that extra cost is explained to the customer and it can be included in the pricing formula. So talking about the customer, we've covered this a lot on this show, but the rapid development of e-commerce has created something here that we call supply chain impatience. How do 3PLs respond to that? and Does it inherently increase the level of risk for everybody involved? E-commerce is a, a completely different game. Uh, the advent of e-commerce fulfillment has driven the level of operational complexity to an all-time high. With thousands of SKUs and the need to control inventory at the unit level instead of the case level, coupled with the high volume of orders, there's plenty of opportunities for things to go wrong, creating a greater number of exposures to liability. 
in these kinds of operations, shippers are expecting the warehouse fulfillment operator to have some skin in the game. The basics remain the same as depositor. As a depositor, the bailee is still depositing their goods with a fulfillment provider, the bailor. The fulfillment operator now has to be concerned with the large number of transactions they will be responsible for and likely to be held responsible for getting accurate orders picked and shipped on time. Penalties are typical for non-performance and covered under the service level agreement. A fulfillment company will want to look at their dishonesty, their employee dishonesty coverage in that they're likely to be handling, uh, handling products at each level that are easily pilfered with a lot of seasonal employees who may not have their employer's best interests at heart. It's really important that security measures be stepped up to deal with this issue. If a fulfillment provider gets an order file and misprints hundreds of labels that are used in shipping, one could find themselves exposed to a fast-paced situation where hundreds of orders were shipped incorrectly before that situation is caught. In this case, it's important for the fulfillment provider to have good coverage through the professional liability and errors and emissions coverage with riders specifically covering these scenarios. What are the key points then to focus on when you're negotiating a contract that might help protect against issues like consequential damages? Well, in a public warehousing arrangement, there's little one can do to negotiate this issue as it should be a deal breaker for any cautious warehouse provider. It comes down to risk versus reward, and there's no upside for a service provider to accept this open liability that they can't insure against. In a contract arrangement, however, will Wagner approach negotiation with a, in an open book process so the customer gains trust through seeing what all the cost elements are? We're willing to discuss sharing penalties and ho- holding ourselves accountable if we know what the downside is and can try to arrange the insurance coverage to protect against that potential loss. As I said before, we don't own the product. We take no share of the profits in its sale, nor should we, because we're not the beneficial owner of that product. All we have at the end of the day is our negotiated profit, which is determined by the amount of risk we are accepting. So you've mentioned standard terms and conditions. So what are those? Well, our industry has a trade group. It's called the International Warehouse Logistics Association. They have a recommended list of standard terms and conditions for the industry that mirrors the Uniform Commercial Code, Uniform Commercial Code, and it's the gold standard for balancing the rights of the customer with the rights of the warehousing industry. The IWLA can be found at IWLA.com, and if anyone wants to receive a standard list, I'd be happy to provide them to them. Where can people go to find out more information about you and Wagner Logistics? Well, our website is uh, wagnerlogistics.com, and our phone number is 816-421-3520, and I can be reached on extension 1303. Sean Klosser here is always available as well, and his extension is 1386. We're really proud of our 71-year history and would be happy to discuss anyone's challenges. That's great. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me today, and uh, best of luck to Wagner. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Inbound Logistics Magazine is the information leader in supply chain and logistics management. Start your free print and digital subscription today by visiting bit.ly slash get il. That's bit.ly slash get underscore il and stay ahead of the 3pl game
Inbound Logistics Podcast is a production of Inbound Logistics Magazine. For the most in-depth information around logistics, transportation, and supply chain practices, get your free print and digital subscription at inboundlogistics.com slash subscribe. Connect with us via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for the most current developments in the industry. If you'd like to leave us some feedback or have a topic you'd like to see covered in a future episode, call our dialogue line at 888-878-3247 or leave us an email at podcast at inboundlogistics.com. I'm your host, Jeff Vita. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on the Inbound Logistics Podcast.